the weird part about it. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Dickler. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J. R. Diglett. Welcome tonight to Hope and Healing. This is your host, J.R. Thicklet, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. That's right, every Monday night from coast to coast, you can reach us right here at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be located around the globe, you can catch us here every Monday night on this network. Hope and Healing is a show that is designed with the platform of bringing empowerment, encouragement. It is a platform that is designed with you in mind, the platform that is here to encourage you beyond your pain. This show addresses the issues of domestic violence, abandonment, abuse, isolation, rejection. It addresses the area of sexual assault, spiritual abuse, and all of those ills that requires us being able to go through the process of healing. 
every Monday night. You find us here, and I'm your host, J.R. Ficklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here on the Soul of America Radio Network. And so as I bring this radio uh, program to you tonight, I'm excited about so many things. Uh, uh, we've had a very eventful uh, weekend, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about that in a few minutes. But I also want to uh, make you aware tonight that, as always, you can reach us here at Eric code 323-784-9638. That's area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us here. Or if you're listening by way of computer, you can go to www.soulofamericaradio.com. Once again, that's www.soulofamericaradio.com. You can reach us there at that place, and you go immediately to the tab that says Hope and Healing. Hit Live Show, and that's how you get in. Well, tonight we are sad. we're very uh, happy about uh, having some uh, other guests with us tonight. We've had just many great guests with us over the past month or so, and I want to make sure that we continue that because each guest brings something unique to this whole discussion. And you know that our purpose for this program is for empowerment. It is empowerment's sake, the ability to be able to empower us as it relates to these issues, to be able not only to sound as a voice of reason, but a voice of comfort, a voice of hope. We understand that for many that may be victims and may be uh, now in the level of survivor, being a survivor, that it takes that support system to keep you there. It takes the ability to know that you can make it out of an abusive relationship. And so we address so many areas as we speak to so many different disciplinaries as relate to this subject matter of domestic violence. So I want you to do us a favor tonight. Call a friend. Call a neighbor. Let them know that Hope and Healing uh, Journey to Wholeness is on the airway, and we'll be so glad that you did. Now, tonight, once again, there are a few things we want to cover tonight. We have a show that's lined up tonight that we think is going to be very uh, informative, very powerful. We're going to have some testimonials. We're going to have some um, sharing tonight that I think will make a monumental difference in what we're saying and what we're doing. So I want to make sure that you're part of that tonight and that as you're part of that, that you're going to share. All the time we come on and we talk about the social ills in our society, and particularly one when we deal with this issue of domestic violence, because we understand that the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of its people. That goes without saying. And we understand that if we're really going to address these issues here, we must be candid in our address. We must be very deliberate in our address of these issues. They do not go away simply because we elect not to talk about them. As a matter of fact, they tend to increase and multiply because our silence does perpetuate the violence. But tonight, as always, I always say I don't want you to just hear my voice on this. I want you to hear the voice of those that have been survivors. I want you to hear the voice of those that have turned their pain into power. Last week, we dealt with that quite frankly about turning your pain into power. I want you to be on the other receiving end of those that have walked this and who understands the power, the power that is inside of when we get free. And so I want us to be free. I want us to come out of some things today, and I want us to make some very great strides because of the fact we are about to make some things happen in a great way. We're about to change some things uh, uh, as the narrative have gone for too long when it comes to the issue of domestic violence. So tonight, as we begin to talk about a few subject matters, I have two very special guests that will be with us tonight, and I am going to introduce them formally in a little bit, but I'm going to have with us tonight uh, definitely uh, uh, individuals that are in this field that are working 
working in this field, but most of all individuals who have overcome, who have come through some things. And uh, in other words, you're going to see that their tests have become their testimonies. And you're going to understand the fact that because they have arrived at the place where they have, that it is it, it, uh, it says volumes about the ability to rise again, the ability to come back, the ability to come out of abuse, to come out of entrapment, to come out of these type of things and end up being the individual who becomes, if you would, that, that glimmer of hope, that becomes that individual who's able to change things and turn their, if you would, their pain into power. So I want you to be there tonight. As you reach out to us tonight, those of you that are listening to us by way of of radio tonight, or by way of, should I say, Internet tonight. Uh, of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can always email them to me. You can email them to me at jthicklin at com, or you can always call. You can get on the phone and call in tonight uh, right here at area code 323-784-9638. That is how you get in, and that's how we get an opportunity to talk to you. And I think it's very important to do so. Uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit about our weekend uh, that was as of last week uh, and a powerful time that we had on Saturday because it was all about healing. It was all about uh, forgiveness. It's being one of those major uh, parts of healing and the healing process. And I, I want to uh, bring with you excerpts of that tonight. But I'm excited once again to have many guests. And, of course, a lot of times our guests that have passed are listening on the line. We invite them to be a part of this. But one of our guests tonight is going to be uh, Ms. Gail uh, Gardner, who is the founder and CEO of Woman to Woman Global Mentorship Network with associates as far north as New York and as far south as South Africa. Uh, Gail Gardner is going to be with us. She's uh, the CEO of RAFA, uh, Soul Care and Empowerment Institute uh, in a, a counseling center dedicated to advocating, educating, and awareness to survivors of sexual abuse and emotional challenges. And, uh, and uh, uh, Gail is going to share a lot with us tonight, her insight inside of not only what she's gone through, but she's going to share really what God has given her as a mission and her uh, platform to do. And then we're going to also have, a, have with us Carolyn Lourdes. Uh, she's going to be with us. She's the founder and CEO of uh, uh, the Safe Outlet uh out of uh, the Miami or the greater Dade area, and she's going to be sharing with us also uh, her journey and the things that have compelled her uh, to do the work that she's doing. Each of these women are not only uh, strong survivors and advocates, but each of these women have uh, their hand on the pulse of this issue of domestic violence. And so we're going to get them in on the airway in just a little bit. I'm going to give you the opportunity to call your friends and neighbors to join us at this point in time, and we're going to come right back after this commercial break. We'll go on and tell you a little bit about what happened on Saturday and bring our guests on. You listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. I'll be right back after the break. is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night 
a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse, some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us right here on the Soul of America Radio Network. Uh, before the break, we talked about the fact of just some of the things that uh, uh, we uh, have experienced over the weekend with a, such a tremendous uh, event that we're part of, and that was the Style and Grace Empowerment Luncheon. And the theme was forgiveness, the art of letting it go. And it was held in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, there at the beautiful Doubletree uh, Hilton Hotel. And it was just an enormous, uh, fantastic event that uh, dealt with the issue of forgiveness. And there was so much that was there. We were one of the speakers there, along with four other main speakers. And uh, we had the the art of death, the spoken word. We had the art of uh, poetry. We had the art of songs. And, And all of it worked together inside of the healing portion of this thing about forgiveness. And and, uh, that forgiveness is not always easy, but it's always necessary. And it's not an instant thing, and it is a process. And I promise you with both of our guests tonight that neither one of them have come through what they've come through without having to go through the whole healing process and understanding the forgiveness was part of that, giving them to where they are tonight. I want to open up, and those of you that are listening to me, once again, by way of radio and by way of of also by number, I want you to be able uh, to also talk to your friends and neighbors. So shoot them an email or whatever you have to do. Let them know to tune in to us right now on the airways. Uh, Area code 323-784-9638. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us on tonight. And we're going to bring in, uh, we have two guests uh, tonight, and I'm going to bring them on uh, tonight. Uh, Individually, I'm going to allow them to uh, 
begin to share their story and uh, to get them on the airways on tonight. And uh, uh, our first guest that we're bringing on tonight is going to be that in uh, Miss uh, Carolyn Lourdes. Carolyn is the executive director and founder of the Safe Outlet in uh, the greater uh, South Florida area. And so I say good evening and welcome to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. Carolyn, you're on the air. Hi. How are you doing tonight? I am doing Thank great so and much. good evening and welcome to the show. And um, uh, we're excited about having you on. You and I have had the opportunity to not only dialogue, but to really share inside of this mission, inside of this passion as it relates to this, this issue of domestic violence. And I'd like for you to, uh, today to just spend just a few minutes, share with the audience, tell them a little bit about who you are and, and how did you come to this place here that eventually have led you to the finding of the Safe Outlet? Well, um, thank you so much again, um, Pastor Thicklin, for having me on. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have uh, such a platform where, you know, we can discuss this matter without, you know, any um, body being biased or anything like that. But um, I am grateful to be on this line with you all tonight. But in how my story began, um, I was a teen mom at the age of 13. I gave birth to my first child child who came from a broken home. My parents divorced when I was just 11 years old. I took that very, very hard, being that I grew up in the house, just me, my mom, and my dad. And as the only child, you know, that's the foundation you have, your mom and your father. And so my mom had an extramarital affair. She came home one day, and she asked my father for a divorce, which was completely, he was completely blindsided. Growing up in the church, there was no such thing. Um, as a Christian, you marry your husband or you marry your wife. You know, it's for, for better or for worse, for, for, you know, through death do you guys apart. And so my father looked at it as a joke. He didn't pay her much attention. And as the months went by, there was, you could tell there was uh, such a strain in the marriage because my mom was at least fussing at him. So at 11, the, the divorce was finalized. He had to move out the house, and here it is. Uh, my mom had to resort to working two jobs, um, and there was really no parental supervision in her absence. So when I get off of school, I started hanging out at a local game room, and that's where I met my first boyfriend, who ended up being my children's father. Um, I, I gave birth to my first son, Michael. After giving birth to him, um, we kind of reunited, me and the the father, we reunited, and um, it was at the age of 14 when I first started experiencing uh, abuse and was not really familiar with what it was. In my mind, you know, hey, he's digging me, he's, he's feeling me, and this is his way of showing me how much he cares. So I didn't really think much of it. So by the time I was 18, um, I was on my fourth child from him. And so things never got any better. They got, actually, they got worse um, because he started trying to isolate, well, not trying, he did isolate me from my friends and told me I couldn't go anywhere. And if I did go out, he was calling me every minute, wanting to know what time I was coming home and constantly started accusing me, and after a while, it started getting a little ridiculous, you know, 
and um, I was living at my at my mom's house at that time. And whenever he wanted, you know, he came home. He could hang out as much as he wants to, and he comes home late. And when he came home, you know, he wanted to fight me if I didn't want to get intimate with him. So he wanted 12 years. I'm just trying to fast forward this. 12 years, four children later, you know, things weren't getting any better, you know. Um, but he took care of home. He did that much. He did take care of home. Um, the best he could, and um, and so every time I got ready to leave the relationship, you know, he would tell me, ain't nobody going to want you with four kids and yada, 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 and so I started second-guessing myself, you know, and every time I got ready to leave, you know, and start thinking about what he said about nobody's not going to want me, it kind of, I became reluctant to leave, you know, and um, so it kept going on. It became a cycle. You know, 12 years later, I decided, okay, I'm going to leave him. So a few years, fast forwarding, a few years passed, and um, I got involved in another relationship with someone I went to school with. Um, you know, he had always been very fond of me, came from great family and stuff like that. But I didn't know that this person had their own issues. So um, I was with this person for about five years. On the fifth year, in 2004, um, I got off of work. Um, I had issue with my vehicle. Um, my boyfriend at the time, he was supposed to come pick me up, and he had some kind of meeting. He couldn't pick me up on time. So one of my coworkers who lived um, not far from me offered to take me home. Well, lo and behold, when I got dropped off home, I didn't know he was in the house peeping out the window. So the minute I walked in the door, he just rushed me behind my head and hit me, then drug me in the bedroom, and he just jumped on me. He started cussing me out, calling me every name in the book but a child of God, you know. And I looked in his eyes as he was hitting me. And I was I was just, I couldn't believe what I saw. It's like I saw a demon, you know. And he said he was going to kill me that day. And if he couldn't have me, nobody else was going to have me. And I, I, I literally felt my life was slipping away that day. And I started crying out that, Lord, children that I have to care for, please, Lord, save me. And in that instant, wow. it's like God answered the prayer. My daughter walked in. We never heard the door open or anything. She opened the door and she was like, what are you doing to my mommy? And he paused. He looked back. She took off running to call the cops or get help or something. Um, and then he stopped. He jumped off of me. But I didn't realize just how badly I was beating up until CSI got to the house. And um, by that wow. time, he was long gone and stuff. And you know, my robe was drenched in blood. My face was kind of disfigured. They they was like pose this way, pose that way. They started taking various pictures, and I remember the police officer saying to me, "You know, next time you might not be so lucky." Residing in Broward County at the time, they decided to take me to Day County to get me away from the abuser until they were able to apprehend him so forth. So by the end of that week, he was picked up. He was taken to jail. I went to the hospital that night after the incident, um, and I was uh, released early that morning. And from that point, that was the turning point of my life. 
I was transferred to this um, shelter that's called Safe Space. And uh, that's where everything in my life started to take a turn. Um, that was the first time in my life that I agreed to get some help because after looking at the look in my daughter's face that day, the look of fear, I felt bad in my spirit. I felt bad as a mother, you know, you're supposed to lead by example. And I, after 12 years, I, I broke up with their father, so why would I end up getting with somebody else who's treating me the same way? So I decided to just, you know, do what I had to do and, you know, go into the shelter. I stayed there for 90 days, but while I was there, I kind of like really got back into my word because I had slipped away from that and I started really asking God for direction in saving me because it seemed like I was made, I repeated the same mistake and I, I was putting a lot of blame on myself because I said well maybe it's me I'm attracting these type of guys you know you know and so um you know my worker was telling me no Carolyn it's not you don't blame yourself and stuff like that, you know, this is where your healing begins, and, you know, you just have to know that it's not your fault, and so on and so on. But I was, despite what I was being told, I took it so hard because I felt like I failed my children first and foremost as a parent, you know. I felt like, you know, I couldn't be, they couldn't look up to me as their mother you know, and I was on all this guilt trip, you know, and so many different emotions was flowing inside of me and just, you know, my mind was racing, to, you know, fast and quickly and I was like, oh, Lord, you know. And so as the days turned into week and then the week turned into month and stuff, you know, with the support groups and, you know, the counseling sessions that I was getting, I found the strength and the courage at that time, you know to transition out of that life that I had been living for so long then I had grown so accustomed to, you know, and just, you know, freely accept the help that was given to me. And after my 90 days was up, you know, I did get $1,500 from the state, which was um, for relocation. And I found myself a bit entrapped because $1,500, as great as it is and it's a great, you know, um, help, that they do give you, but I couldn't really find someplace decent to move in, you know, for $1,500. So I transitioned to this other shelter in Overtown called the Lotus House. And so I stayed there for about two months. I was able to, you know, get a job, save enough money to put with the $1,500 that I was given to finally move into a condo. And so basically that's, that was the turning point right there you know, not being dependent on the boyfriend anymore, you know, finding my way, becoming independent, and just, you know, take, taking advantage of the help that was there at the time. And so about six months after I transitioned back um, on my own, I had went back to college to, you know, finish up my degree, and I said, you know, I felt like it was something that I wanted to do. So quickly, I connected with one of my mentors at Florida Memorial, you know, and she told me she was going to connect me to someone who would help me if that's what I really wanted to do. And so I connected with this gentleman called, uh, his name, 
Dr. Trey Coleman. He's a, he used to be the former chief of staff for Alfie Hastings. He happened to be a professor at Florida Memorial. So he said, this is truly your passion, Carolyn. You want to give back because of what you had experienced. This is how you're going to be able to do it. So I ended up going back to the same shelter that I was um, taken to, and I started volunteering my time at the time. And in volunteering my time and talking to the clients that live there and so forth, letting them know, you know, that I've been where they're at and that if they truly want to make a difference and make a, you know, willingly and freely accept the help that was being extended to them at the shelter. And so with that being said, go right ahead. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, um, I, I say all that to say this, you know, a lot of people say they, I, I don't see myself going to a shelter. Well, you know what? If that's what it takes to get away from your abuser, that's what you have to do. You know, because it's not, especially when kids are involved, it's not about you, really, because you don't have just yourself to think about. You have to think about your children, you know, first and foremost. And so, you know, a lot of people think, you know, that going, transitioning into a shelter, it's a bad thing. But transitioning to a shelter if you're in an abusive relationship is the best thing that you can possibly do for yourself and for your children, you know? Well, you know, you, you said a whole lot there that is, I think is so pertinent that there are so many, uh, so many telling signs and nuggets inside of what you're saying, even from the early beginning when you start talking about how traumatic it was for you all as a family, uh, you know, as a family when it comes came to the fact of uh, the divorce and the separation. And although, you know, uh, you said you didn't see it coming, it kind of came from out of nowhere, but yet it's still the impact of that divorce uh, really began to lay down the groundwork for what eventually would happen to you. You start talking about, okay, the divorce happened, and then your mother ended up with two jobs, and as a result of the two jobs, not able to be there with you oftentimes in the evening and afternoon, and which left you there with the uh, center you was at, and then you meet the guy who you would uh, have your uh, first child from and from that point on. And so uh, it brings us back to a point of, of how so many times what we see happening is the fact that there's a vice that could happen in one's life that could really begin to turn to turn us in a direction that uh, leads us to other things. And I want to excuse me. One of the things you talked about was the fact that after your daughter walked in on this particular situation, how you know um, you know that definitely was a mind changer and a game changer. I would say for you. Oh, yeah. Even though when I was with their dad and he used to jump on me, you know, I have my second son who used to literally shield me from, you know, from their dad um, beating on me and stuff. And so, you know, that's not a life you want your children to be exposed to because, you know, what ends up happening they end up growing up to become abusers themselves or possibly, you know, the young ladies allow themselves to be abused, you know, and they think that's the norm, you know, and it's not. Wow. You know, so much happens inside of those situations, even when you describe uh, uh, the whole point of your uh, son, how he would uh, put himself as a human shield there. And still that is a place of danger, you know, even for a child to put themselves in that position. And when we see those type of things happen, they, 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 they
impact the kids when they grow up. That turn where your daughter ends up coming in, you know, and basically, you know, uh, telling him to, you know, ask him what he's doing to her mother. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was a turning point with you. But I want to go to the part where you start saying you were going through the guilt trip, and you could call it a guilt trip. You start thinking about what happened to your children and those things there. And what I want to say is that sometimes it's hard to distinguish between whether or not it's a guilt trip or whether or not it's really eyes being enlightened and open. Because mm-hmm. in many cases with victims, uh, they do take the abuse. They take the abuse until uh, oftentimes until they see their children either being threatened or their children's life being impacted by it, and they almost become their eyes are open. And whether it's a guilt trip or whether or not you say, no, I cannot allow this to be my children's lot in life, you know, mm-hmm. it is the catalyst that ends up um, – it's the catalyst that ends up bringing you to another place uh, that you do make those hard decisions. And, and those hard decisions you made, you went through the shelter process, and we understand that a lot of people, even culturally, you know, don't want to go to shelter. They, uh, they have the problem with communal living. But you said something very important. You know, when you're in a position of victimization, oftentimes you don't have that luxury to be able to choose. You don't have that luxury to be able to say, well, I think I have this. I think I'll do that because uh, it's just not that easy. Um, oftentimes, uh, you're in a position where you're trying to survive, survive for yourself, yeah. survive for your children, and that is what you did. You went through the process, and those things happened, and uh, you went through the shelter. So you saw some benefits of the shelter that actually became a stabilizing force for you and gave you the system of support. And and, and support is very very necessary inside of coming through any type of traumatization. And, uh, and and definitely we say that to people that may be people of faith. And for every pastor, every faith leader that may be listening tonight, I want you to know how important this is, even inside of your congregation. There's not a church that I think is this that doesn't have someone in it that either has been a victim of abuse or may be currently a victim of abuse. To say that it doesn't happen here in my church and no one's here is affected is actually uh, just more or less a sense of uh, wishful denial uh, because the fact that people from all walks of life experience this. But the real travesty is the fact that when these things are happening and we that are members of the faith community are not in position or we're not equipped enough to handle these type situations and those type situations being uh, the abuse and uh, being able to uh, deal with victims of abuse and yet hold account, uh, the perpetrators accountable. Uh, I want to do this real quickly. I want to uh, take just a short break and uh, when I come back, I'm going to come back and ask you, so what Put what actually, uh, you know, what was it that compelled you uh, to now begin the safe outlet? Okay? Yes. Okay. We'll come back with that question immediately after the break. You listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is J.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back after this break. <laughs>
If you're listening via internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in Soulful Talk Radio. Choice to Fellowship on Facebook is a spiritual, drama-free, judgment-free fellowship forum for light minds to share in encouragement through testimonies, scriptures, music, prayer, worship, and fellowship. It is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences. We welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook. Through a search, you can find us. If you're listening via Internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. I am Indy Harlem too, and I am fighting the power on the Soul of America Radio. Worldwide Coast to Coast Talk Radio. This is the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to SOAR. And now back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And welcome back. Welcome back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. Before the break, we were uh, definitely talking to uh, one of our special guests tonight, Ms. Carolyn Lourdes, who is the CEO and founder of the Safe Outlet. And uh, she shared her story that have brought her from the place of childhood up into the place of where she uh, uh, have experienced abuse and uh, going through the shelter uh, process and now uh, the question I want her to uh, kind of conclude with us tonight is that what is it that uh, has driven you uh, have impressed upon you to start the safe outlet and what is your vision for the safe outlet? Well, um, when I was in shelter at Safe Space, call myself sitting in the PVD, and I remember switching the station over to the Word Network. And I remember clearly as day uh, Bishop P.D. Jakes was on, and coincidentally, he said, somebody's watching this broadcast, and it's not by accident that you changed to this channel. You're going through a storm, but told me to tell you that the storm is going to come to a calm, and when he brings you out of this storm, he is entrusting you to go out and talk about my experience to be a blessing to other people. 
you know, of course, in the show, you meet people from all different walks of life. And I think that was what the thing that really stayed with me because I cried that day. I, you know, you had to get up and leave everything, your home, your your clothes, your shoes, and just leave with the clothes on your back, you know, because it happens like that, you know. And I felt I um, got back in the school, you know, and I was talking to my mentor at the time, uh, Professor McKinney, and then she said, just how the chain of events took place, I just knew in my spirit because of the conviction that I had that I needed to do more. Because when you're in a situation, God puts you in certain, everything that happens in our lives, it happens for a reason, you know. And when he brings us out of the situation, it's to be a blessing to other people. But you have some people, they come out of their mess, and nothing ever changes. It's still always all about them. So for the first time in my life, I was given a charge. That's how I felt in my spirit, and even until today, I feel the same way. I've been entrusted with this charge, and that charge is to talk about the goodness of God and how he used me in a situation that was so negative, you know, that I had experienced most of my uh, childhood life and adult life, you know, and brought me to a place of stability, a place of peace, you know, so I felt compelled to share my story with these other women. And so I started with where it started, which was where I got, you know, my, my starting point to change my life around. And so in going there and volunteering my time, you know, the different um, people who was there, women that was there, you know, they shared their story as to why they stayed. And I didn't realize myself why I stayed with my children's father for as long as I did. But what I was doing was filling a void from that divorce from the age of 11, you know. Absolutely. And so in trying to fill that void, you know, I fell for the okey-doke. And I say that because, you know, the first person came along, started showing me some affection and showed me that he cared for me. That's who I wound up with. And he was not good for me at all. You know, so just to wow. fast forward, um, the stress of being in, in this emergency shelter, knowing my 90 days was about to be up, that was an added burden to me because now what I was going to do, you know, what was I going to do? You know, and so that's when I got the whole idea. I say, you know what, a, a long-term facility because when people come out of such a traumatic situation, the last thing should be on their mind worrying about, you know, when this 90 days, when these 90 days are up, what am I going to do, you know? And that's why a lot of the victims end up going back to the abuser, you know, because they feel like, okay, if you qualify for the $1,500, yeah, you get the $1,500. But then what do you do from there? If you don't have a job, if you're not equipped, you don't have the skill set, you can't step into the workforce and get a decent-paying job, you know. And so I was dealing with all of these different emotions. And so when I started doing, you know, speaking publicly about my experience and quickly the shell, the the board the foundation board for the shelter, they took notice and they invited me to a board meeting one night. 
and inviting me to this board meeting. I sat in, I came into a couple of more board meetings, and then they quickly suggested, you know, making me a, a, a board member, which was my starting point. So then I was able to get into the nonprofit sector to learn, you know, of the day-to-day operations with the shelter. But my purpose for starting Safe Outlet was because I want to be able to make a change, make a difference in these victims' lives, not just for a short-term period, but for a longer-term period, to give them that place where they can have peace, where they can be at ease and not, not worry about, okay, three months, I'm out of here, now what? You know, give them an outlet, you know, someplace where they can come Absolutely. to, you know, have these support groups. And most importantly, what I'm learning with um, the, uh, some of these facilities is there's a separation from the church. You know, when you go out, you can't talk about certain things. You can't acknowledge God because, you know, they have all these stipulations in place. So I said, you know what, if I do this, you know, and I know God gave me the vision, so he gave me the vision. He's certainly going to make the provision. You know, faith-based, it was my faith during that whole thing that was reignited, you know, and that helped me through this whole ordeal process of transitioning, you know. And that's where I found my solace, my peace, wasn't knowing God was there with me, even though it was dark, it was a dark place that I felt at the time I was in. But I had, I found that peace in God knowing that he was using this for a greater purpose. And voila, the greater purpose is now here because I have made it my life's mission, you know, to have a long-term faith-based transitional domicile where victims can come to and get a fresh start, whether it's them by themselves or with them and their families. Right. Well, that is so very important, and I do so appreciate you sharing that today. And now people understand what the safe outlet, and what I'm going to do is at the end of the show, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to give your information as well. Thank you so very, very much for sharing uh, not only your story with us and remain with us, because, uh, Ralph, I, I do bring on um, – Gail and everything, I'm going to uh, 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 definitely go through the process, and then before we end, we'll have you both on uh, together. So uh, thank you so very much, and once again, thank you so much. Let's give a hand for Michelle uh, and Lourdes tonight uh, for first sharing with us tonight on, on, on the program today. Thanks so much again. Thank you again. Thank you again. Well, you listen to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. Uh, you just got to listen to one of our very special guests, Miss Carolyn Lourdes, there, uh, uh, founder and CEO of uh, a safe outlet in the greater South Florida area. And I want to take the time now to bring aboard another uh, incredible individual that I've had uh, opportunity recently to become acquainted with. And um, her name is Miss Gail Gardner. If you looked at any of the uh, material that uh, that is out on Facebook that we put there. Uh, uh, Gail is doing tremendous work. Her story speaks for itself. Uh, not only have she's founded uh, 
uh, the whole global, I want to make sure I get this right, the global network of women mentoring. She's going to get that right for me. But she's also the uh, founder of RAFA, and she's doing quite a few things as it relates to women uh, and victims of domestic violence and a number of different things. And so without further ado, I want to bring aboard tonight uh, Ms. Gail Gardner. Good evening. Welcome to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. You're there. Thank you for joining us, Gail. Good evening, Reverend Strickland, and, and I'm just loving that story uh, from uh, Ms. Uh, Lourdes, I believe it is. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, It's just been wonderful. Everyone has a story. That's why I ask people, what is your story? And I appreciate the bravery that she had during that time that she needed to find somewhere and thought about her family. In order to get job done, I'm so grateful for you having me on this evening. Um, Our pleasure. We are we are honored uh, and humbled because uh, a, a year ago it would not have been the case. It was not the case, and even longer than that. And if I'd have thought about it 20 and 30 years ago, ever being in this place where God has me right now, I would have said, "No, you're not telling the truth. That's not that's not real." I thank God for um, where I've been uh, now that I look back in retrospect. Um, I see where it was leading to this t- day and time. Um, I was a victim of every, almost every abuse you could think of. Um, I would not say child abuse in the respect of my mother, but from, from my stepfather and even my father who um, neglected me in a sense. But then there was the domestic violence, which started with my stepfather. My, um, he was my abuser. I was uh, sexually abused as a child, and then he would abuse me even more physically with um, um, it, uh, just intimidations, coercions, and and threats, and uh, just this awful. And then, as I when I grew up, of course, like Ms. Um, Lord said, that you're looking for someone that will love you. And I remember my dad was not there. He would make promises he was coming and coming to get me. And I remember standing in the window one day crying because he never showed up. And that was just a a time for a, a, a time for an abuser, um, my stepfather, to kind of come in, of course, and be that one to console when actually he was abusing me also. But in the midst of that, looking for that, that some, certain someone, I wound up in a marriage. Um, I wound up, first of all, having two children out of wedlock. I was very young when I had my oldest son. He was uh, I was 14. And then a couple of years later, I had my daughter. And finally, I uh, wound up with a gentleman who I was already having self-esteem, self-esteem issues. And, you know, usually they look for someone who's, who, who they not only have self-esteem issues, but they look for someone who's as weaker, weaker than they are. Um, so I found I wound up with him, and for a few years we finally got married, and I wound up having another child in that marriage. But I remember uh, the, the 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 temper that he would have, and he did not come out of an abusive home. It was just I just couldn't understand where it came from. I I know that domestic violence is a choice, and um, you choose to do um, take the actions that you take, and so. I couldn't understand why he was the way he was. He was not a good provider. Um, he was not 
uh, he was just not a kind person. And wind up a few times having myself just totally, I mean, just hauled off and slapped. Now, this gentleman was over, it was about 250 pounds. I was like 130. And um, those, and sometimes in the um, confines of an automobile, so there was no place to run, no place to go. And it just, it, it just uh, had me so tied up. And I was afraid to tell my family. Um, you didn't tell. You were taught not to tell. And I found out that even with the abuse, I was afraid to tell. Matter of fact, I thought that everybody knew, and they were just allowing me, you know, to uh, to be abused. They didn't like me, and so they just they let him abuse her. And that's the kind of stuff that goes through a young person's mind. But as an adult, um, that's where I wound up at. I wound up moving across the country. We I grew up in. In New York, matter of fact, I tell people I was born in Harlem and raised in the South Bronx. I was, you know, I knew the streets pretty well, and I left home. Um, I, I, I used to tell people I had came from a good home, but I didn't come from a good home. It was always um, some kind of chaos. I remember my grandparents fighting. I remember hearing my grandmother, and my grandfather fight, and um, him beat on her and her hollering and screaming and calling his name. And then I remember my mother. I remember my stepfather just wailing on her like he, like he was a boxer, box, boxing another contender in the ring through in her stomach and and crying and and my mother trying to get healed us. And then I wound up in that same type of uh, relationship where, but it wasn't so much as the boxing and the punching as much it was it was those slaps. And when it was outside of the confines of an automobile, it would send me halfway across the room. So no matter what it what where it was, uh, it was not only painful, but it also at times just threw me into another uh, uh, physical uh, incapacitated to the place where I didn't have a lot of bruises, but you could see the side of my face was swollen, and so that went on for a few years until finally the big fight. The the, the and I don't know if I. I think I got over it, but I was really done when the fight took on not me as much as was my kids. And I got tired of him, you know, saying something to me, and, and he started with me. But when my son and my daughter got into it, as a matter of fact, my son, he picked or started with him after he finished with me and before the hits went on, but then he went to hit my son. And my daughter, who was younger than in her, than her, uh, she was the, with what we would call the knee baby now, but she was 14 years old when her baby brother was born. And she just jumped on his back and began to fight with him to keep him off of wow. her. It was, it was, oh, God, it was one night. And he wound up leaving the house because he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. And she left, he left the house. And the next day, I believe he came back and got his stuff and um, and left. And I think he kind of waited until he felt it was safe. And what he was really was wondering if we called the police on him. And wow. I didn't have sense enough to know to do that. I didn't have sense enough to know to call the police. What do you call the police for what? You know, they didn't. I never seen them come and do anything about it. You know, men, husband who was fighting unless somebody else maybe called them. It was it was looked at as the norm back then. Um, if it it was happened, it happened, and it was in your house and your business. So 
he wound up going back up north, and I was in, we were in Florida at the time, and um, he went back up north, and eventually as years went on, a few years went on, maybe a couple of years, I got a divorce, and I remember saying to someone, I was sitting, I was going to, to um, University of Central Florida, and I had gotten a lawyer off campus, and she was a Muslim young lady, and I remember sitting on the bench, and I hadn't long been saved, gotten saved, and sat on the on the bench in the courthouse. And um, I said, I don't want nothing from him. I don't even want his money. <laughs> Which I spoke that into existence, because Lord knows okay. I was breadwinner in my household. <laughs> I, I spoke that right up, you know. But she said to me, she said, no, ma'am. She says, you have no right to deny these children any care. Um, talking about my youngest, really, and, and um, you have no right, none at all, and and she and she was very upset with me about that. But when I got out of the courthouse, and um, I was hoping I had one of my pastors with me, and no one came. There I was sitting, and um, in the courthouse, and got the divorce, and came back to came to the church that day. And sat on the pew and uh, had been in the office there, and then came outside, sat it in, on the pew in front of the, the altar, and just just sat there contemplating. And the pastor came out and asked me. He says, "Well, how does it feel? Because he, the divorce is just taboo." And right. I said, "It feels as though a Siamese twin has been cut away from me." In other words, I was free of the of carrying that extra weight, that extra baggage, that extra body around with me. And um, after that, I went from one, you know, re-victimization is real. Um, it wasn't just the sexual abuse and then the domestic violence, and then a few years later um, someone broke into my home and there was a rape. But somewhere along the line, with all of those things happening, I remember I was working for the church then. I was going up the ecclesiastical ladder of success. By this time, I think I I wasn't an elder yet, but um, I was working in the church, and I was, uh, I think at the time I was an, I was, well, I was an evangelist at the time, and, and had, uh, and just, you know, going through the motions. But I remember stopping in the middle of the aisle one day on my way to my office, and the lights were on in the sanctuary, and I looked up at heaven, and I said to the Lord, I need some help, and I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but if you don't help me, I'm going to, I, 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 nothing to do but take my life. And from then on, I remember being able to feel the freedom of doing something that was never spoken about. Not only did you not tell what you were going through, you did not discuss it, what you were going through. You also heard two things. One is, just get over it, you'll be all right. And you also heard, um, you, what, you know, what we need. You, you, know, you heard the other one that, that goes for the church and the home. What goes on in this house stays in this house. One of the biggest lies there yeah. ever was told. And yeah. then you heard, you also heard was all you need is in God right here in this church, you know, <laughs> and those things work me. But I've got cut loose and said I need to find me someone to help me work through this, so that I can be free in my mind and get me some mental help because something's not right here, 
and this sure enough can't keep happening to me. And I feel like I just want to give up. And I did. I found a Christian counseling center and um, locally, and it wasn't my people running it. Believe that. It was mm-hmm. You had to go outside of your own culture. And that's something that my organization um, looks to do. I don't see myself, and I don't see even Ms. Lourdes at this point, as a as a survivor. We are thrivers. We have gone beyond Absolutely. just surviving, and we're now thriving. We're helping other people, and because of we now have the stamina to do that. The first beginning of healing is disclosure, being able to tell somebody. And that's why I ask people, what is your story, baby? And I'm telling you, they hold me up for the longest. When I'm a pastoral counselor, and when I get people in my office, a couple of things that my organization does is to help dispel the negativity and the myths and the, the mistrust of counseling. If you find someone who can counsel you in your values and within your values and within your culture, but you have to, pers- you know, you have to be able to gain that trust. And so, being able to do those things and to be able to maneuver those things and help people in those areas and show them that God operates in us and through us in different avenues. If you have a great support system, great. If your church has been one that can could support you, you can talk about and go to your pastor, great. If you can, if your family can, can help you, great. And you know it's not generally our culture that does that. And so we need it. To, I, I believe that you can go beyond whatever, whatever God has for you to get healed, even go into the shelter, do that. I, I agree. But don't, don't put all of your, put, look for God to get in this box. There's, there's different avenues and different um, processes of healing for everyone, depending. There's no one size fits all. And we need to be able to let people know that, there's a there's help for you even if it happened 20 years ago there's help domestic violence that fight that y'all had that last piece sometimes i believe the statistics say that it is seven times a woman leaves seven times before she's gone for good you know absolutely and if she yes and if she can if she can stay safe and, and you know during those seven not times great but prayerfully we want that to not even be the the, the uh the story anymore we don't want people to have to leave seven times. We want to eradicate this, cut it off, cut it off at the root from where it comes, educate our children about domestic violence and how to stay safe, but also how to be healed of some of the memories and the things that they have in their life that causes them to, this thing to perpetuate over and over again. Absolutely. And to take it as norm. It is not norm. And it's it's passing wow. back to the pits of hell from whence it comes, you know. It, it, you're you're hitting exactly you right. You know, <laughs> you said some things that were so pertinent because of fact we have to take it to another level. Uh, the need for the support, but also the need to really hit this thing head on. We have to address yes. these issues. These issues are very deep inside of there. What I want to do right now, I want to go into a commercial break. We'll come back, and for those of you that are listening, you listen to so, uh, the Solo America Radio Network. This is Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. And we'd like to take your calls right after this. We have two guests with us tonight, uh, Ms. Uh, Gail Gardner, 
as well as Miss Carolyn Lourdes. And when we come back from the break, uh, we're opening the lines up to you, Erico 323-784-9638. If you're already listening and you have a question or comment, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to come on the air, and we'll get you right on the air as soon. Kid, you listen to Hope and Healing, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Tonight, 
want to make sure that I get them both on the line uh, right now together. They both are on the line. I just want to get them both on it at the same time so that we'll have an opportunity to engage both of them inside of this. And so uh, that's what we want to do tonight. Once again, Erico, 323-784-9638. That is how you can reach them on tonight. Uh, and you can reach us on tonight. Hit number one on your keypad that gets you in tonight. And then as we're coming into the last 30 minutes of our program tonight, I definitely want to engage both of these ladies. And, uh, uh, and I do want to thank both you, Carolyn and Gail, for being with us. You both are on right now. Your mic is on. And uh, there, there are plenty of questions. You know, when I listen to both of your stories, I see very similar. I see similarities on both ends. Uh, both of you were, were young teen mothers, uh, age 13 and age 14, respectively, uh, inside of that. So you had children very early on. And, and uh, the other part of, of that sense of love, that sense of wanting to be loved and needing to be loved, out of these situations here and as the pattern would happen as you end up in the abusive relationship that how in many ways your children became almost that catalyst that kind of uh if you would turn on the light uh for you in terms of uh your own sense of value who you were what you meant to the children and how you didn't want to see that perpetuate and yet it's still inside of each one of those situations you had some things that happened uh that really uh that the kids themselves are, were in danger, in harm's way. In the case of the son that was jumping in on the fight, in the case of the daughters who jumped in on the situation, all of these things, uh, we understand that even as we talk to people today, that we recognize how those things are impactful to the entire family. And I'm so glad that both of you have been so transparent in sharing. And I know, I know that you're both here. And I want to get a caller. We have a question on the line, so I'm going to uh, bring our caller in, uh, number in and in 6250. Welcome to Hope and Healing and Journey to Wholeness. You're on the air tonight. Uh, you have a question or comment uh, for either our guests. Uh, you're on the air. Um, I would Good like evening. to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I'd like to say first of all that it's a privilege to be able to safely share space such as this um, radio talk show to share, you know, our stories. And as I was listening to the stories from our other two um, victorious thrivers, okay, mm-hmm. and women who have gone on to to make a difference, you know, to help other women. Um, that have experienced, you know, um, abuse, I, I, I just applaud them. I just is saying, thank God, Lord, thank you for them. <laughs> thank you for them. Okay, um, I would further go on. I would like to say also, um, I'm also a domestic violent victorious survivor. Um, amen. amen. I say, well, thank you. And I would like to talk about, um, like, the main reasons why um, women or victims stay in abusive relationships in the first place. Um, unlike the, you know, the two um, women um, um, that came up previously, I um, I was not, I didn't have like children first before wedlock. I was brought up in a home where my mom always taught me, you know, educate yourself, you know, to make something of yourself and always have children after marriage, okay? And, you know, all of the rest of the, the stuff that, is, you know, that's very well, I should say, admiral, okay, today. But unfortunately, um, what she didn't teach me um, was even with all those values, right, all those high standards um, that she tried to place within us, 
we were still um, a part of a domestic violence situation, even within it. And and as growing up, that confused me a lot too. Um, because as a child, let me start off as as a child, as a child, like like fourteen. Yes, I started off at fourteen. She was saying, "Go to school, do your best," and all of which I did. But then, at the age of fourteen, fifteen, um, sexual abuse, I should say, I've experienced many types of abuse. But the first um, form of sexual abuse came with my biological father. When she was, my mom was um, out, you know, working. She was hardworking, you know, and educated and stuff. And um, she left me home um, one one day after school when I was um, the oldest you know, daughter, and I guess I was going through puberty at that time, and, um, you know, he came in the room, okay, let me just say how it started from childhood, he came in the room, and he had on a towel, blue towel, and, well, that's when the sexual molestation started, okay, and then after that, of course, you know, you, you go through um, low self-esteem, um, I went through periods of bathing and bathing for hours, trying to, you know, get him off of me, you know, as a 14, 15-year-old, stopped going through low self-esteem. Why did it happen to me? I'm blaming myself. And it took me about three months to even bring it, bring it up to my my mother. And the way how it came out was um, uh, me and my, my sister was having an argument, and I guess it was bottling up, and I just wanted relief. I couldn't take it anymore. So I told my sister, she told my mother. And what really, really set it in was when my mother told me, to keep it hush, hush. Why? Mm-hmm. Be- she just said keep it hush, hush, because my pa was very influential in the community. Um, he also had his own business, okay? And, you know, he used to help people out financially a lot. So that was very damaging, as you can imagine, as a 14, you know, 15-year-old going, you know, through it like that. The hush, hush syndrome don't tell anybody whatever stays in here in the house, whatever goes on the house must stay in the house, okay? And then in the midst of it all, um, I also experienced him continually, you know, beating her and all, all kinds of abuse, verbal abuse, you know, and all that. And ironically, I made a vow to myself as a young girl. I said, you know what, no one would ever hurt me, hurt me like that, you know, like that again. And I guess it's a subconscious it's Subconscious or automatic, we call it dual processing, as I learned at the university. Um, I went to school for my master's and stuff and all that. But the first person that I latched onto, the first male, and I couldn't understand it, had traits and reminded me of my um, biological father, which he, he was abusive, and I was attracted to that. That blew me away because how strong I was and how educated I thought I was um, at that time, I was attracted to, um, I think, subconsciously the way how how he spoke. It was very domineering, very demanding. Um, Of course, he was very influential in the community, okay, Um, had contracts with all all city officials. I won't mention his name, but for years I was was a – and here again, I made another vow. Even even going into it, and I, we, we had children and, and stuff and all that. It was it was abusive. It was abusive physically. It was abusive sexually. It was sort of a, it, it mirrored my mother and my father relationship. 
okay? And again, I vowed um, of children. Again, I vowed if I have children, it would, you know, not go through it. And But again, I saw myself in, you know, in, in the same um, predicament, okay? So after, you know, after seeking the Lord, see all the time, I, yeah, real faith, after seeking the Lord, you know, and I said, Lord, um, I, I, I can't take it anymore. You know, it got it got to a point where mm, I'm this way. I was facing death. I was I was facing death. It got to a point where chokings and uh, you know where I saw myself sort of like black out and turning blue. You know, blue in the face and stuff because of you know being choked in the, the ear and stuff and trying to literally suck the life out of me. Um, you know, and uh, I prayed. I said, Lord, just be, I, I need to get just just get me out of here. Just, just please, just, 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 just help me. Um, and, and he did. Wow. Um, and I, I, I thank God for he did. And I had to relocate and, you know, do a lot of things. But one thing I wanted to, to mention too is the main reason why I stayed. Ironically, it was for the kids. First, it me was too. actually, it, it was for the kids. And I'm like, oh, for the kids, we had, you know, two. And like I said, he was very influential and a wealthy lifestyle. And I thought that at that time, if I, I left, I would be, first of all, I would break up the home, okay, and I would be looked upon as a failure coming from a broken marriage, you know, like with my family, it's like, oh, you can't get a divorce and, you know, stuff is against, is against God's, you know, God's um, instructions, God's teachings and stuff, you know, um, cultural, yet, um, you know, cultural biases and prejudice, whatever. If you if you get a divorce and you you know you're a single mother, then your income is going to go down, and you know all 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 kind of stuff you'd be facing. Um, and so even in the midst of it, I, you know, Lord delivered me out. I went back to my mother and I asked her. I said, Why did you stay? She told me the same thing. She said, I stayed because of y'all, the kids. I'm like, Hmm. So how wow. did I, I and So when you say that, I, I want to draw a. Co- I want to draw a contrast here, and it's interesting because uh, we've often said inside of the moment that people stay and leave abusive relationships for the same reason, and that same common reason could be the children. In your case, you stayed because of the children. A lot of time to save face. I want the family to remain together. I don't want to give this sign of brokenness because of how we have termed or how we have framed what a whole family looked like. And yet it's still in the case of both uh, Gail and the case of both Carolyn, both of you left uh, eventually because of the children. And you've heard uh, our caller on the line there, and, 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 and it's interesting that each of you have very similar traits in your story inside of that. And I, I would love to hear, hear your, uh, each of your, your opinion on that. Uh, do you see the similarities inside of this? And, and, uh, and one thing that I draw from it, and I hope our audience is, our audience is drawing this, is the fact of the pattern. Each of you were young people dealing with these type of situations. The emotions of relationships can be very heavy. It can be very bad, and uh, oftentimes it the weight is sometimes weight is uh, is not really seen initially when relationship comes out of a need. And when I say come out of a need, when it comes out of a need to be accepted, when it comes out of a need to be expressed, when it comes out of a need, you know, uh, when it comes out of a need to feel loved and those things there. And if, if that's something that you feel like you're devoid of and you start getting that type of attention, you're so happy to get that attention that oftentimes by the time it starts turning uh, south, 
you're not always cognizant of it until it really gets to those uh, stages where it becomes very physical and those things there. And I would just like to hear uh, your, your your insight on that. Um, either one of you, both are there, so I'd like to hear you chime in because I felt that the caller uh, brought up some very uh, very uh, poignant points there. Well, Rev, you know, I, I was listening and – 